evidence and answers. Critics allege that the Gospels have been edited and changed over the centuries so that they are not a reliable account of Jesus' life. New Testament scholar Bart Ehrman claims there are numerous significant copyist errors and therefore one cannot believe the Gospels we have today are accurate to the original text. Is this indeed the case? You are tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zugren. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. The last time we were together, Pat began a fascinating message defending the historical reliability of the Gospels. Remember, if you missed any part of this broadcast, head on over to our website, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and look up the title, The Gospels, Are They Historically Reliable? You can download it or listen online. Today we will conclude this message. The Quran writes over 150 years after the life of Muhammad. There's a question. We don't know if Muhammad was an actual historical figure and if the events recorded in the Quran actually happened. But in the Gospels, they are written in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses who could verify their accounts as true or false. Written 15 to perhaps 30 years after the life of Christ, very early. Now the second question is this, have the Gospels been accurately preserved? Critics allege that the Gospels have not been well preserved. They were edited and embellished over the centuries to make Jesus look like a miracle working Messiah, when in reality he was just a charismatic teacher who taught about reforming Jewish society. Well, have the Gospels been accurately preserved? We know they have because of the number of early and ancient manuscripts that we have. When it comes to the manuscript evidence for the New Testament, we almost have too many manuscripts. All right, it is a treasure trove for New Testament scholars. Just the Greek manuscripts alone, we have over 5,000 ancient manuscripts. The Rylands dating to within 20 to 30 years of the life of its author. And if you throw in early translations, Latin Vulgate, okay, the Syriac and others, and if you include quotes from the church fathers, we have over 24,000 ancient documents from all different parts of the Mediterranean. In fact, when it comes to the church fathers in the first 300 years, the church fathers quote every verse of the New Testament except for 11. So in other words, even if we didn't have these manuscripts, just from the quotes of the church fathers, we could reconstruct the entire New Testament. That assures us we've got a copy that is accurate to the original. All right, let me give you an example, okay? We got Fran sitting here. If I give Fran my notes, and I said, Fran, copy my notes, right? She'd make a pretty good, accurate copy. But if I gave everyone a copy of my notes, and I said, everybody make a copy of my notes, and then at the end, give it to Fran, and she's gonna look it over, compare all the notes, and come up with the most accurate copy. Which one would be the most accurate? Fran all by herself, or all of you making a copy, and then we all give it to Fran, she can compare notes. Which one would be more accurate? Well, obviously, the latter one, all right? Because if three people say, Pat said, there are no prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament. And the other 80 of you says, Pat said there are prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament. You can easily figure out where the error is. 
Well, when it comes to the New Testament, you've got over 5,000 documents to compare from three different continents, Europe, Asia, and Africa. And you throw in the translations and the quotes from the church, you got 24,000 documents to look at and compare. Well, how does it compare with other historical works? Well, if you look at the chart there, these historical works, we don't question their accuracy. All right, but when it comes to the writings of Plato, and we all read Plato's work in college, how many manuscripts do we have to look at and, and compare? Only got seven, all right? The earliest copy is hundreds of years after the life of Plato. And most of these manuscripts of Plato, these seven are partial manuscripts. Okay? We don't even have the complete works of Plato. When it comes to Caesar, okay, nobody doubts the history of Caesar, that he was a real historical person and did the things he did. How many manuscripts are we working off of? Only 10, 10 partial manuscripts. Much of what we know of the Greek and Roman Empire comes from these writers, Herodotus, Tacitus, Pliny the Younger, and others, and we're working with less than a dozen manuscripts here. But no one questions the accuracy of these historical works. But when it comes to the New Testament, just the Greek manuscripts alone, you've got over 5,000 to look at and compare. Throw in quotes from the Church Fathers and ancient translation, you got over 24,000 documents. In other words, we've got a copy that's very accurate to the original. Actually, we don't have 100% of the original. We've got 110% of the original. What we're trying to figure out is what's not part of the New Testament. What were the things that were added? You know, notes scribbled in or extra words scribbled in by a copyist. And so we're about 99% accurate to the original. All right. Remember, I was on the radio and someone questioned me. He said, how come God didn't leave the original with us? Well, our nature, if we had the original, we might worship it. All right. Second of all, let's say I had the original copies locked up in my safe. How do you know I haven't tampered with it? You have no idea. But if we've got thousands of documents spread out throughout the United States and the world, and they're all identical, okay, and we bring them back together and examine them, that's a safeguard to make sure we've got an accurate copy. And that's what we got in the New Testament, right? So the Gospels are written in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. They're well-preserved, and their historical accuracy has been verified by archaeology. Hundreds, literally hundreds of discoveries have been made that confirm the historical accuracy of the Gospels and the New Testament. No other book like it that has so much historical verification for its accounts. I'm just going to give you about four or five examples here because we could be here all afternoon. For example, the Gospel of Luke this guy has been verified to be a very accurate historian. He names 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands without error. Modern archaeology has discovered these sites, and we found out this guy is right on target. Now, you know you got a good historian when trivial details, he gets accurate right on the dot. And when it comes to government officials, these are very strange titles here. Many historians and skeptics thought that perhaps uh, he had made some mistakes here. Tetrarch of Abilene, Proconsul of Achaia, First Man of the Asiarch. I mean, what are these titles? We have discovered through archaeological discovery 
when it comes to the title of these officials, he nails it. He is right on the dot. When you've got a historian like that, that is right on target, in details, in things like this, you know you got a really good historian. F.F. Bruce writes this, a man whose accuracy can be demonstrated in matters where we are able to test it is likely to be accurate even where the means for testing him are not available. Accuracy is a habit of mine, and we know from happy experience that some people are habitually accurate just as others can be depended upon to be inaccurate. Luke's record entitles him to be regarded as a writer of habitual accuracy. Uh, there's a famous story of Sir William Ramsey, a skeptic who traveled to the Mediterranean, traveled throughout Turkey and Israel. His one purpose was to prove the Gospel of Luke was wrong. And after years of research, he ended up becoming a believer in Christ. He wrote a book called St. Paul the Traveler and Roman Citizen, and he said, in short, he said, Luke is a historian of first rank. In short, this author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. When you're in court and you've got a witness on the stand and you are cross-examining him or her and they're getting details of the account right, all right, if you're talking, let's say, about a bank robbery and you're cross-examining that witness, he or she may be the only witness to what happened, right? and you're cross-examining them. What color shirt was the burglar wearing? Red. What time did it happen? 11.50. Where did it happen? Right here on the, on the corner of 2nd and Middle Street at this 7-Eleven. Where did the guy come in from? Here. He was wearing white tennis. I mean, man, if he is nailing it, you know you have a trustworthy witness. I've seen, and uh, I have lawyer friends who have uh, prosecuted and indicted people on the account of one witness. If he or she proves to be a trustworthy witness. That's what you've got in Luke here. And if Luke is true, Christianity is true. All right, we've got other discoveries here. The famous pool of Bethesda in John chapter five. Many question whether this pool existed or not because it's got a very strange description here. And John says there's five porticos, right? Quite a strange looking pool here. Well, we discovered the site in about 1900. Okay, in the old town of Jerusalem, 40 feet underground, you can go there today. If you ever come on the Evidence and Answers Israel tour, you go down the stairs, and there I took a photo of it. Five porticos there, just as described in the Gospel of John. The controversial pool of Siloam, John chapter 9, where Jesus spit in mud and then rubbed it on the blind man's eye and healed the man. Well, in 2004, while working on sewage lines, engineers came across first century steps of a pool located at the end of the famous Hezekiah's Tunnel. They did research there and discovered that this was the famous Pool of Siloam where that famous healing occurred. We have numerous, numerous discoveries like this. How about Pontius Pilate? You know, the governor who sentenced Jesus to death. He presided over the trial of Jesus. Well, at the beautiful site in Caesarea Maritima, there's a great hippodrome there, you see, and a amphitheater and a remains of an ancient palace. Tremendous, tremendous uh, building there that Herod the Great built. Well, they discovered a plaque written in Latin, and it's there to this day. Well, when you go there, you can see the plaque. It's called the Pontius Pilate plaque. And in Latin, 
you can still see the phrase that says to the divine Augustus Tiberius. He was the emperor of that time. Pontius Pilate, a prefect of Judea, has dedicated this temple. So this temple is dedicated to the emperor Tiberius, who ruled from 14 to 37 AD, just as recorded in the Gospels, specifically Luke chapter 3. Just recently, in 2018, right, at the Herodium, King Herod, all you know about King Herod is he's the guy that tried to kill Jesus, right, and slaughter the babies in Bethlehem. Well, he was an incredible engineer, architect, and builder. He built seven incredible fortress palaces, all right? Most famous one you might know is Masada, okay? But here's another one, the Herodium. This is a man-made mountain. It is absolutely huge, okay? You can see the Jordan Valley, I think, from uh, the top, top of this. This is a man-made mountain fortress. And in fact, let me give you an uh, extra. When Herod died, he wanted to be buried here. And guess what he wanted when he died? He knew nobody was going to mourn for him when he died. In fact, everyone's going to probably throw a party. So you know what he did? He ordered his men, gather up all the royalty, the nobles and government officials, and when I die, kill them all. That way, people will be crying when I die, right? And bury me in the Herodium. Does that sound like the guy that said, go to Bethlehem and kill about a dozen children? Very consistent with his character, isn't it? Well, they went to the Herodium. Guess what they discovered? They discovered his sarcophagus there in 2007. And in 2018, they discovered the ring of, once again, Pontius Pilate, who was there. In 1990, digging in a royal chamber there in Jerusalem, they discovered the ossuary. This is the box in which bones are put in of Caiaphas, the chief priest who sentenced Jesus to death. In another tomb site, they discovered the ossuary of James, the half-brother of Jesus, the one who became the leader of the early church. There are hundreds, hundreds of ossuaries like this around the land of Israel, and about a couple hundred have names on them. This one is very strange. This one stands out. Why? Because it has the name of the person inside, James, and it's the only one that mentions he's the brother of Jesus. The only one. All right, now archaeologists have scrutinized this, looked at it, looked at the material, the car in the right. They've concluded this is James, the brother of Jesus. What about the crucifixion? Well, in 1968, in an ossuary like this, we discovered the bones of a crucified man. The nails were still driven through his ankle, right? And from the study of his bones, they saw that his tibia, the bone between the knee and the ankle, was crushed, as described in the Gospel of John, what they did to crucified victims, right? The nail was driven through uh, his ankles like that. They also studied his arm and discovered that the nails were driven through his wrists, just as described of Christ's crucifixion in the Gospels, right? And we could go on and on on hundreds of discoveries that verify the New Testament. No other book like that that has so much archaeological verification as the Bible. How about the Quran? How much archaeology do we have that supports the Quran? Very little, very little. Okay, you go to Jerusalem today, there's yellow tape everywhere. 
because whenever they dig a foundation for a house or a condo, they come in, they run into some kind of archaeological discovery. When you go to Mecca, according to the Quran, it's the oldest city in the world. What do you see? It's a modern city. No archaeological digs going on over there. That's the oldest city in the world, according to the Quran. We should see yellow tape there everywhere. You don't see any of that. It's hard to verify. We have no uh, archaeological verification for the life of Muhammad and the things that he did. What about the Buddha? Uh, there's very little as well. Okay, so the Gospels are written early, well-preserved, and their historical accuracy is verified by archaeology, but also the testimony of hostile witnesses. We have over a dozen non-Christian, and we will call them uh, hostile witnesses that affirm people, places, and events of the Gospels, right? Let me just go through a couple. The Jewish Talmud, right, completed in about 300 AD, affirms that Jesus was a real historical person, but they attribute his miracles to sorcery and magic. Okay? They affirm his death by Roman crucifixion and affirm the healing ministry of five of the apostles. Here's the account of Jesus and his crucifixion. It says, on the eve of Passover, Yeshu was hanged for 40 days before the execution took place. A herald went forth and cried, he's going to be stoned because he has practiced sorcery and enticed Israel to apostasy. Anyone who can say anything in his favor, let him come forward and plead on his behalf. But since nothing was brought forward in his favor, he was hanged on the eve of the Passover, affirming what the Gospels record. Josephus, very accurate first century Jewish historian. Much of what we know of first century Rome comes from this man. And when it comes to Jesus, he wrote this. At that time, there appeared Jesus, a wise man, for he was a doer of startling deeds, a teacher of people who received the truth with pleasure. And he gained a following among the Jews and many of Greek origin. And when Pilate, because of an accusation made by leading men among us, condemned him to the cross, those who loved him previously did not cease to do so. And up until this day, the very tribe of Christians has not died out. In that brief paragraph, he summarizes the gospel message, doesn't he? And he verifies numerous other people. James, the half-brother of Jesus, John the Baptist, the Herods, the emperors, Augustus, Tiberius, Claudius, the high priestly families of Caiaphas, Ananias, Annas. Then we also have Roman sources. Thales, writing his uh, history of Greece from the Trojan War to present day, writing in 52 AD. In his third book of history, he states that in the afternoon when Jesus died, darkness covered the earth. Tacitus, another very accurate Roman historian, writes this, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name have its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of the procurators Pontius Pilate, and a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. This is not a guy that likes Christianity at all, right? But what they write affirms uh, what is recorded in the Gospels. Now, those of you in the legal field and historians know the power of enemy attestation, right? When you're in court, and your enemy affirms your facts. That is some of the most powerful evidence in court, but also in history. And that's what we got here. Over a dozen hostile non-Christian works affirming what the gospel records.
right? I was on a radio, and an atheist called up, and he said, if Jesus was such a famous guy, how come there's nothing about him except in the Bible? And I said, that's, I said Thomas, okay, Thomas the atheist, calls me every week when I was on that political talk show. Thomas, I said, you're wrong. We've got over a dozen non-Christian or anti-Christian historical works that affirm the people, places, and events of the New Testament. Let me go through it. I went about six, and he goes, okay, okay, enough already, enough, all right? So what do we conclude here? Well, the Gospels are confirmed by the internal evidence, the manuscript evidence, the writings of the early church fathers, the archaeology, and anti-Christian Jewish and Roman sources. And so what do we conclude? Well, the implications are quite significant, folks. Number one, the Gospels are an accurate, well-preserved historical record of the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who claimed to be the one and only unique divine Son of God, confirmed his claim as no one has ever else done through his miraculous, sinless life, death, and resurrection from the dead. And then we can conclude this, that what Jesus taught then is true, that God has come into the world. He has revealed himself through the historic person of Jesus Christ. He is indeed the Savior of the world. God saw us in our sin and our despair, entered into our world, took upon himself our sin, paid the penalty for our sin that we could have right standing with God, the creator of the universe, to experience a relationship with him, just what we were created for. And today, you can know, you can have a personal relationship with God, and you can have everlasting, eternal life with God when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ was a real historical person, lived a miraculous life, who came on a mission to die for our sins, to rescue us from sin and death, that by believing in him, we may have everlasting life. John 20 writes this, and these things have been written that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the divine son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have everlasting life in his name. If you want eternal life and a relationship with God, it can begin today when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. If you would like to receive Christ, if you want a relationship, an everlasting life today, then pray this prayer with me. Father, I know that I am a sinner and I have been living life my own way. And today, I believe and I trust in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he is the unique, divine, one and only son of God who took my place on the cross, died for my sin, and rose again. And today I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And from this day forward, I seek to live for you now and always. I dedicate my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you prayed that prayer and meant it with your heart. You have eternal life with Christ today. But maybe for some of you, this is the first time you have heard of this kind of evidence for Christianity. 
And perhaps for you, the search or the investigation begins today, like it began for me nearly 35 years ago. Well, if that's you, I encourage you to go on our website here at evidenceandanswers.org. There's articles, radio shows for you to listen to, uh, great articles to read. Also, I encourage you, go get a, a book I encourage you to get, Unless I See, Is There Enough Evidence to Believe? We hope if for you the quest is beginning, you won't stop until you find the truth in Jesus Christ. All right? Thank you very much. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Be sure to check out our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll see we have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. So if you'd like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or even schedule an apologetics conference at your church or location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to use our search engine for available resources. You'll see we have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the Air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners, for the opportunity to partner with us. Once again, you can head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckeran.